Hello and welcome to Discovering Jazz. My name's Larry Sademan, and in this program, we all discover jazz, old and new, together by listening to a wide array of selections, exploring different jazz styles and topics related to jazz, we'll learn more about what it is, what it isn't, how it's developed, and what we can listen for to enhance our experience. For the next 60 minutes, Discovering Jazz. Last week I played you some jazz artists playing jazz, and those same artists playing on recordings by pop, rock, or folk singer-songwriters. This week I have some more. And I'll even throw in a bit of a well-known jazz artist playing classical. I want to start by talking about Charles Mingus, a jazz artist if there ever was one. While I can't say whether he ever contributed to hits on the pop charts, he never believed in compromises, he did, near the end of his life, make a significant contribution to a recording by Canadian mostly folk artist Joni Mitchell. I'll be playing some Mingus, then a track from Joni Mitchell's album called Mingus. Charles Mingus was a bassist and a composer who, with his bands, liked to do what has been termed collective improvisation, selecting band members, often little known at the time, based just as much on their personalities as on their musical skills. He wanted musicians who would interact with each other and many of them later went on to impressive careers. As a performer, Mingus was a pioneer in double bass technique, widely recognized as one of the instrument's most proficient players. This particular selection is called Remember Rockefeller at Attica. Mingus originally wrote it under another name, but changed the name to make a political statement about the actions of New York State Governor Nelson Rockefeller, who ordered state police to retake the Attica Correctional Facility in September 1971, following the prison's seizing by inmates demanding changes to conditions there. The result of the storming led to the shooting deaths of 10 prison guards, 33 inmates, and other prison workers. The event raised the stakes in the civil rights movement, ushering in a decade of radicalism and underground violence. The song artfully captures the era's thrashing political climate and growing militancy. Charles Mingus.
Charles Mingus from a 1975 album called Changes One. That one and the one he did the next year, Changes Two, were described as being like hearing five people having different conversations and finding they are all geniuses. The five people were Jack Walrath on trumpet, George Adams, tenor saxophone, Don Pullen, piano, Charles Mingus on bass, and Danny Richmond on drums. In 1979, Canadian folk singer-songwriter Joni Mitchell decided to do a tribute album to Charles Mingus, and she utilized a number of great jazz musicians, playing with them frequently. Some of the ones who ended up being part of the album were Herbie Hancock on piano, Wayne Shorter saxophone, and Jaco Pastorius on bass. It was put together during the few months before Mingus died, as he was suffering from ALS, or Lou Gehrig's disease, and Mingus had a part in supervising the album. The record includes some dialogues between Joni Mitchell and Charles Mingus. The track I want to play features Jaco Pistorius, who did the horn arrangements here as well as some incredible bass. The Dry Cleaner from Des Moines. Music by Charles Mingus, lyrics by Joni Mitchell.
So Jaco Pastorius, who is featured on that last track, was involved helping Joni Mitchell make great albums a few years before that obvious foray into jazz with the Mingus album. Pastorius, best known for playing with Weather Report in the early and mid-1970s, would often introduce himself as the best bass player in the world. And there have been many who have agreed. Unfortunately, drug use, possible bipolar mental illness, and his self-destructive habit of provoking bar fights and allowing himself to be beaten up led to his premature death in 1987 at the age of 35. He had a major part in Joni Mitchell's Hegira album of 1976, three years before Mingus. I'm going to play something first from an album that Jaco Pastorius made with a group that he called Trio of Doom, which also included John McLaughlin on guitar and Tony Williams on drums. The group was a short-lived jazz fusion power trio who were brought together by Columbia Records in 1979 to play the Havana Jam Festival in Cuba. This was recorded in 1979, but not released until 2007. Here is Dark Prince. Thank you. 
Jaco Pastorius, Tony Williams, and John McLaughlin, the trio of doom. Now let's hear some of what Jaco Pastorius did for Joni Mitchell on her Hegira album of 1976, The Refuge of the Roads, with Jaco Pastorius on bass and John Guerin drums. I sat before 
Jody Mitchell with Jaco Pastorius and John Guerin. Today on Discovering Jazz, I'm featuring jazzies who play outside their genre. That Pastorius track I played just before that with John McLaughlin and Tony Williams, it leads me to want to talk a little bit about John McLaughlin, a legendary guitarist and one of the founders of Fusion. He is still performing today. His Mahavishnu Orchestra and the album Bird of Fire from 1973 are considered musts for anybody interested in the history of jazz. Now, before I play something from that album, I invite you to listen to a bit of this. Listen to the guitar intro. Now that guitar intro from that Herman's Hermits hit from 1966 was brought to you courtesy of John McLaughlin. Here he is from the Birds of Fire album from 1973 with John McLaughlin on guitars, Rick Laird bass, Billy Cobham drums and percussion, Jan Hammer on keyboards and synthesizer, and Jerry Goodman violin. This is called One Word.
John McLaughlin and the Mahavishnu Orchestra. Before that, a little bit of Herman's Hermits with John McLaughlin. No, McLaughlin was never a member of Herman's Hermits, but in the mid-60s, he was employed as a studio musician and recorded the guitar on that particular track that you heard, just before you heard nine and a half minutes of one word. Today, talking about jazz musicians who've recorded in genres other than jazz. I started this program with the Charles Mingus track, and I mentioned the drummer was Danny Richmond. Danny Richmond had been playing with Charles Mingus since 1957, and he also worked with Elton John and Joe Cocker. And in 1971, he joined a more pop-oriented group, although one that flirted with jazz and blues, called the Mark Allman Band, led by two John Mayall alumni, John Mark on guitar and Johnny Allman on saxophone. He played on at least their first two albums. From 1971's Mark Allman 2, here is One Way Sunday, the Mark Allman Band with Danny Richmond on drums. Here in the morning light I stand With a suitcase and a guitar in my hand Sunday Sitting in the airport bar And trying to look like a superstar Waiting for the plane to take me far away Still she finds a reason To stay Still she finds a reason to see what I'm like today. Denver, Oklahoma, San Antonio. Another gig a long, long way from show will be all right maybe i'll phone you tonight still she finds a reason to stay still she finds a reason to see what i
when my traveling days are through I'll come on back and stay at home The Mark Allman Band with jazz drummer Danny Richmond, who you don't really hear all that much of, do you? Okay, that that actually was when critics uh, talked about those particular albums and the use of great drummer Danny Richmond. One of the comments I often made is, well, you barely hear him in most of the album. All right, let's have a jazz musician playing classical. Trumpeter Wynton Marcellus playing both trumpet parts in the third movement of Vivaldi's Concerto for Two Trumpets. Let's hear it.
Wynton Marsalis has won nine Grammys for his work both as a jazz and classical trumpeter. He's well-known in jazz, putting together many a learning program on the history of jazz. He's been criticized by people such as jazz critic Scott Yanow for considering post-1965 avant-garde playing to be outside of jazz and 1970s fusion to be barren. Although sometimes I think he has a point. (laughs) So although he remains prolific, he is considered to be on the conservative spectrum of jazz innovation. But nobody questions what a great player he is. Let's hear Wynton Marsalis playing some jazz now with drummer Art Blakey and his jazz messengers, with whom he played for a number of years and actually got a start in the jazz world. Now, I couldn't find much information on this particular recording, but I believe that Wynton Marsalis was about 19 at the time. The year was 1980. Here is Wynton Marsalis and Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers with Thelonious Monk's Round Midnight.
Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers with Wynton Marsalis on trumpet. This is Discovering Jazz on CFFF, Trent Radio in Peterborough, 92.7 on your dial. Today I'm focusing on jazz musicians who have also played outside the genre of jazz, whether it's been as a studio musician, touring musician, or just experimenting with something unrelated to jazz. Let's end off with something that's as far from jazz as imaginable. Ronnie Scott was a British saxophonist. Not particularly great compared to the jazz greats, but he did a lot for jazz through his club in England called Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club, which opened in 1959. And despite Ronnie Scott's death in 1996, the club still operates today in London. The Beatles used Ronnie Scott's sax very effectively in one of their hits from 1968, here it is. And a reminder to tune in next week for more Discovering Jazz, part three of Jazzies playing outside the genre. This is Larry Sademan saying bye for now. Stockings need